My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring forward a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Chris Combermal, CEO of the Data and Marketing Association. Uh, Chris, very warm welcome to you. And by all means, thank you for joining us on the show today. Great. Thank you, Scott. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure having you alongside me as well, Chris. Um, Now, the Data and Marketing Association, or DMA for short, um, you are a trade organization essentially for marketers, which is considered to be the real driving force behind marketing and setting the standards for the UK's wider data and marketing community to sort of thrive and fulfill its potential. Um, Now, a big, big thing that has been in the headlines recently relating to this industry is the uh, the Queen's speech, of course, and that included several provisions that the government wants to put forward for data reform. Um, in your own words, what exactly is the government trying to establish with those reforms that it's put forward? Yeah, the, the, um, the government undertook a consultation called Data A New Direction mm. uh, back in the fall um, with proposals uh, to update the UK, UK's data protection regulations uh, now that we have left the EU. And essentially what they're trying to do uh, from the consultation document is to clarify some of the core principles within GDPR, uh, they're quite clear that they want to maintain the general framework and maintain a high level of protection for consumers. Um, But they highlight areas that could uh, be a little bit better balanced in support of business growth and innovation. And actually, that's consistent um, with the original GDPR, EU GDPR, that was transposed into UK legislation back in 2018, which contains a recital four that says data protection is a fundamental right, but not an absolute right. And it must be balanced with other rights, such as the right to conduct a business. Mm. So in that sense, there's some evolution um, and some, some things we believe are positive and some other things we think perhaps are not necessary uh, after consultation with our members. Mm. And obviously after that consultation, I mean, what sort of views were your members kind of putting forward to you and how did that sort of shape uh, the, the recommendations that you made to government for uh, executing this? So one of the key areas and probably the one that is most important to our members Um, is clarification around the use of a basis of processing called legitimate interest. So GDPR as a legislation identifies six bases for processing, including consent, legitimate interest, the necessity um, for processing, for, for, for fulfilling a contract, and so on. And what's happened in the marketing sector and, and generally across the business sector, is that lawyers have taken a fairly risk-free approach in terms of advising companies to default to consent as a basis for their customer communication. So we represent all the activities that are involved in attracting and retaining customers into a business. So in a sense, the whole customer experience 
pre and post uh, purchase that is driven by data. And there is no more fundamental business right than the opportunity to attract new customers to your, to your business, to develop products and services that meet the needs of your customers at a price point that they find attractive, and thereafter retain them, persuade them to stay loyal to your business over time. And in many of the activities that are done, such as following up and, and making recommendations to a customer based on things that they've previously purchased mm. um, and so on, it's totally normal within the reasonable expectations of the relationship uh, that a customer would expect that company to continue to engage with them until such a, uh, a time as they said to stop. So we think that that clarification and ensuring that that legitimate interest is recognized as equal to the other five bases of processing is really important. And in fact, that's what the legislation says. There is a recital in GDPR that says direct marketing is a legitimate interest. Um, and in fact, in, in every court case since the evolution of, of um, data protection legislation, legitimate interest has been backed even in the European Court of Justice as a basis for advertising and marketing communication. But it's important to recognize that while it's a legitimate interest of the business to communicate to its customers, customers always have an unfettered right to object and to opt out. And I'm sure you're familiar with the unsubscribe link on an email communication. Mm. Um, it's absolutely essential that the customer be given an easy way of saying, no, look, I don't want to hear from you anymore. I may not want to buy from you again. You might have upset me. I might have been dissatisfied with my product. So as long as that unfettered right to object exists and other protections, the use of legitimate interest enables better communication between a company and its customers. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one way, of course, recognising this scenario that the government could sort of make its upcoming reforms sort of more business friendly. Are there any other ways which, when the government is bringing this out, that it could look to be sort of more pro-business in its approach and allow firms to, you know, have that relationship with its customers, but still give them that very easy way of opting out of things like this? There are. There are some uh, reforms proposed that touch into privacy and electronic communications, uh, some are which are tougher sanctions on uh, rogue traders. So, so there's proposals uh, to increase the fining ability um, for rogue um, uh, telemarketing um, to be equal under privacy and electronic communications as under GDPR. And I think that's important because um, Everybody knows that, that rogue telemarketers who are often outside the country and are often fraudulent, it's really important to put those companies out of business um, and therefore ensure that, that consumers know legitimately when they're hearing from a company that they're doing business with, whether it's you know their car dealer letting them know it's time for, for, for the annual service and MOT, mm. or it's your bank with an update on, on terms and conditions. and and so on. So, and that's important because for older customers um, who are not as digitally comfortable as younger customers, sometimes the telephone is a preferred method of communication mm. uh, with a company. Um, there's also some proposals uh, that I think will enhance the environment uh, online 
for instance, to to um, consider legitimate interest as the basis for what we call first party cookies. So cookies are obviously contentious because they pop up all those banners when you go to a website that asks you to accept or reject uh, cookies. Mm. But only some of the cookies are contentious, which are third party cookies that enable uh, advertising to be placed on the website with some degree of personalization. But actually, most of the cookies a website employs are operational cookies um, in order to ensure the, the, the site is functioning smoothly. Also, uh, to ensure that your purchases are properly tracked into the cart and, and sometimes to do shopping cart reminders if you put something in the cart and not purchased. And in fact, many, many, many businesses, especially e-commerce businesses, don't actually take advertising at all on their website. So they don't use third-party cookies um, into the digital advertising ecosystem. And all they're doing is enhancing the experience for their existing customers. And in that context, if you're, if you're a website not taking advertising and purely serving your customers through the website, uh, not having to put notifications about cookies makes eminent sense uh, because all you're doing is enhancing uh, the web experience and doing some analytics about what people have bought so you can make recommendations. So I think uh, that's that's quite a big one. Um, mm. There are a number of recommendations that relate to, to scientific and medical research, which I won't get into, but I think they're quite important in ensuring that society captures the benefits of data and thinks of data as a force for good, as a force that can help cure diseases as a force that that create can create vaccines quickly, as we saw during the pandemic, mm. um, and as a force for 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 future innovation in the economy and in medical care. So, so I think there's a number of things that that we think are quite good. There's a couple of things that we're not so keen on, um, and there's a couple of them that may pose risk to data adequacy with the EU. Um, but the majority of proposals should be consistent uh, with the framework of the legislation and consistent with the UK maintaining adequacy with the EU. Yeah, that's certainly very encouraging. And those which sort of are of concern, are you worried that it could sort of spiral to the point where it does cause relationship issues with them, um, sort of EU over data adequacy, for instance? Is, um, is that a, um, obviously a realistic possibility that, that could there happen? There are a couple that would be provocative to the EU to some extent, um, and ones where we actually disagree with the proposals. So, so one, there's a couple of proposals in Chapter 5 in reform of the Information Commissioner's Office that may... Um, in some ways undermine the independence of the independent regulator. Mm. And I think from our point of view of our members and also from, from the point of view of the EU, um, independence of the Information Commissioner's Office is absolutely critical to their ability uh, to regulate. So, so there's some suggestions that when they write a code of practice uh, for a, a certain sector uh, to follow, that, that the government would have the right to veto it. Uh, and there's some things around um, the government department, DCMS, 
um, overseeing the salary paid to the information commissioner rather than parliament. So there's a couple of things that I don't think are, are fundamental to the legislation that it would be better if they were not included as we went forward. Mm. Um, the one that's probably most contentious for, for uh, um, industry is there is a clause called Article 22, which says that uh, it gets into automated decision making. That clause says that when, when you undertake automated decision making, if it has a legal effect or significant effect, then the customer should have the right to a human review. And where that comes into play is not so much in marketing terms, because if I'm personalizing, for instance, your grocery shopping experience and you have a, a, a loyalty program with a supermarket that you shop in regularly, and they offer you discounts on, say, Brussels sprouts if you, if you bought Brussels sprouts regularly uh, rather than asparagus, you know, there's no potential for harm that an AI-driven algorithm might recommend uh, string beans rather than Brussels sprouts. And, and I think it's generally accepted that 99% of AI and algorithms operating in marketing do not meet that threshold of legal or significant effect. Where it comes into play is if you have, for instance, a loan application for a mortgage and the mortgage is, is being processed automatically using data from credit referencing agencies um, and other um, ability for the financial institution to assess your creditworthiness. Mm. If that decision, for instance, was to reject your loan application, it makes total sense that you should be able to ask the bank why, and in particular then that you should be able to refer back to the credit referencing agencies, because I think we all know that on occasion, someone's credit history may not be totally accurate or some wrong information may have gotten onto it. So I think there's an important safeguard built into GDPR in terms of, of where automated decision-making leads to a legal effect. Um, and that should stay um, in place. And I think our members believe very strongly that that, that protection is important for customers. Mm, understandably so as well. Um, obviously, moving on from the context of the uh, the Queen's uh, speech there, um, something which um, was brought up when I actually had one of your colleagues, Tim Bond, join us on the, uh, the podcast um, at some point last year was... Um, the fact that digital marketing was a format that has seen huge proliferation since the COVID-19 pandemic and understandably so. However, there are huge sort of skills gaps in terms of digital aptitude here in the UK. So with this becoming a much more favorable format, skills gaps within the digital industry are obviously going to pose a problem for firms that are looking to sort of market their products. Um, how exactly do we go about trying to deal with that? Yeah, I think there, there's there's two or three levels of dealing with it. So, so one area of issue is attracting new talent to the industry, and and less than five percent of fourteen to eighteen year olds have heard about the opportunities for for careers in marketing and and digital marketing. So, so there's an awareness level in attracting next generations, um, and then there's a whole issue of reskilling marketers who maybe were practicing before the digital era came, came upon us. 
And also because marketing is a very fast moving uh, sector where innovation and technological transformation is happening at pace, it is absolutely crucial to have a, a notion of lifelong learning and permanent reskilling. And so what we've done at, at the DMA uh, this year is we've actually included access to our LMS online learning platform within our membership to enable uh, the marketing teams of our members to access 150 modules of micro learning and 14 qualifications such as a certificate in email marketing um, anytime, uh, always on. Um, and we're encouraging all of our members and their staffs to commit to one hour of learning a week in order to keep their skills up to date because you can get out of touch at a moment's notice, especially because marketers are making decisions on what technology to put into their marketing stack. They're making decisions on how to manage data and store it. They're, they're making and involved in decisions on data security. Uh, so it's essential that marketers stay up to date with that commitment uh, to learning that exists in, in other sectors where you have to do your learning annually in order to keep your qualification to practice up to date. So obviously accountants, doctors, uh, most professional services have a requirement uh, to stay up to date and we think marketing should be the same. The other area is the government recognizing, particularly the Department for Education, recognizing the role that industry experts play mm. in keeping skills up to date in the economy. And the government through the DFE has 3.8 billion pounds to spend on reskilling the country uh, through in large part, a big chunk of money is going into uh, boot camps and in particular digital boot camps. But government tenders and the selection process and the approach of, of the Department for Education drives towards using further education colleges or large scale training companies rather than the industry experts. So we're working mm. hard ourselves uh, to try to work on that because if you look at our learning, um, it is all developed by practitioners in the industry. It is all on subjects that the member companies in our industry believe are essential knowledge for their marketing teams. Uh, and it is taught by industry practitioners and bought and paid for by companies who value the knowledge uh, that the community has. And I think it's essential for the government to recognize the role, not just of ourselves in digital marketing, but in almost every industry sector, there is an association that is working with employers, groups of employers mm. to deliver the skills that industry sector needs. And I think the government, especially the Department for Education, um, has to recognize the role that industry experts and the employers play in knowing what skills their companies need. So it doesn't make sense to us that you would define skills through the Department for Education without referring to the job market that people are going to enter or are in today. 
Yeah, it creates a disconnect, doesn't it? And the, the whole funding model for training is broken in the sense that it goes towards those further education um, institutions and training providers, when in reality, going into industry and learning on the job where you've got the experts there, you've got the equipment there, you've got the resources and the expertise there, that is the best place to upskill and to learn. But it's prohibitive for firms to actually spend money on training because the funding is being funneled elsewhere so it's going to take sort of a seismic shift and a real sort of paradigm shift isn't it to sort of get the the dfe to look towards industry and sort of overhaul everything to the degree that's needed no i think that that's absolutely right and and certainly we know through the pandemic uh, businesses were very tight on revenue and cash especially if they were forced to close their business um, and, and obviously, if your staff's on furlough, you're not going to invest in, in their skills because they're, they're not at work, mm. um, although it was allowed for, for people to take skills um, courses while on, while on furlough. Um, but now with the other economic challenges we're face, facing, it is difficult for companies to carve out the money, but I will emphasize that companies that do, that companies have a commitment to training their teams generally perform better. And that's certainly true in marketing because if your marketing competencies are improved, it should generate more sales. And that obviously grows your revenue. So if there's any area that I would urge companies to invest in, um, while we're fighting that battle with government on securing investment for our sector, if companies want to grow in the upcoming recession, it's essential that they outperform their competitors with improved customer experience, improved customer engagement, um, better offers, um, better analysis and understanding of their customer base so that they can do a better job. So, uh, Uh, we would say actually counterintuitively the inflationary squeeze and the almost certain recession that's coming argues to investing in your marketing departments and investing in the skills of your marketers so you can do more uh, with your investment and outperform and get a bigger share of market um, during the tough times that, that are certain to be here over the next 12 months. It's very much speculate to accumulate, isn't it? And um, I do think, um, obviously, it, it would be very intuitive, actually, to uh, to obviously uh, look at that approach, whereas many businesses may be looking to kind of tighten the purse strings because eventually, as has been the case with the pandemic, we you do come out of it and there is that recovery and then you've got to be ready to cash in on the opportunities, haven't you? Uh, no, that's right. And I think it's especially tough for small to medium-sized enterprises where often in the in the leadership team, it could be an owner-operator really driving decisions across multiple functions. Um, so it may be, that's where we, we, we believe that adding our bite-sized learning where you can go in and in 20 to 30 minutes, you know, get a top-line view of email marketing or digital marketing channel or channel optimization or data analytics or social media, that if you're the leader of, of an SME uh, who is not able to focus on marketing full time and, and you're, you, you want to just pick up a few tips so that you, your, your organization can do a better job. And by that, that might be four people, five people, 20 people, 30 person organization. 
um, that ability in a really good value proposition to get your learning as part of an industry association membership, where you'll also get your legislative guidance, uh, your, your, your guidance around GDPR, your legal help desk, uh, research, all kinds of value. So I think that's where trade associations can play a really important role in each sector um, and where we try to play a, play a role by offering um, a really um, high quality proposition at a fair price for SMEs so that they can take advantage uh, of all the content and the training that we've developed. Absolutely right. And um, I think as well, just to sort of touch on um, the sort of issue with the funding model again, anybody coming through and using the DMA's resources is far more likely to benefit from that learning compared to maybe the kind of things they'll be exposed to by a big training provider or a further education college because the expertise sort of simply isn't there to the same degree, is it? So it is much more intuitive to learn through industry full stop, isn't it? You can certainly argue that. I think so. And, and there's many ways you can do it. So there's the formal learning, which I've talked about, um, but we also run a number of events. So again, if I go back to my example of the certificate in email marketing, and then that's supported by, by um, additional content like research into um, and, and email uh benchmarking where, where uh, we published average response rates across the economy because we have all the uh, MarTech providers anonymously uh, uh, feeding into a report where we can get industry averages. You can benchmark how you're doing against the broad-based uh, benchmarks. That's really valuable. But of course, then there will be events where that research is presented and discussed where you'll have the opportunity to network with other people doing the same thing you're doing in other companies. So you learn from your peers in the industry. We also have 18 practitioner councils and committees that oversee the development of our curriculums and our content. So again, you have the opportunity to join a council um, and, and work with your, your, the other leaders of, of the industry you know, to help shape the future. And of course, all those are opportunities to learn from your colleagues that are working in other companies and compare what's happening in your sector, say it's automotive or it's not-for-profit fundraising in the charity sector or it's banking or it's e-commerce, um, sharing and benchmarking and learning, you know, is dynamic and active. Um, at networking events and, and uh, you know, panel discussions and all of that. So I think that's a richness. And that's why we've packaged what used to be a membership offer and a learning offer as two separate, why we've packaged it in one without really raising the membership price significantly uh, because we want companies in this tough market to be able to access that knowledge and to know whatever you learn formally through the skills or the qualifications through the training is supplemented by all that informal learning mm. that you can do by attending events. And imagine if you've just taken the award in GDPR, which outlines and gives you the, the skills and knowledge you need to be compliant with GDPR as a marketer. 
if then you had a question about something you're doing, like a data notification or a, 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 a phrase in your call to action, you can call the legal help desk um, within the, 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 the uh, membership proposition and ask if that's compliant. If you're not sure yourself based on having taken the award in GDPR, you have that resource that is a member-only resource. So it really does work together. And, and they, the only thing I kick myself is that we didn't do it several years ago. Um, uh, but especially now where skills and the, and the um, shortage of skills is the number one topic uh, that our members are talking about, um, perhaps with the exception of, of inflation, uh, but certainly the number one topic that, that comes across my desk, putting those two things together so that you can really uh, optimize um, the proposition uh, makes absolute sense for our members at, at this point in time. And understandably so too. And um, we've covered already, of course, the fact that, you know, you are lobbying government quite hard over all of this, um, going back to sort of the contents of the Queen's speech and data reform and also the need for... Uh, and that's, that's so, a really yeah. key point, Scott. You yeah. know, we, we, uh, the work we do with government to ensure the legislative framework is correct and that it finds that balance between protection of individuals and, and, uh, and, and uh, responsible use of data with growth and innovation, if we are effective in those conversations, our industry can thrive. And of course, we need resources to be able to do that. Um, and uh, so if, if people considered that the proposition we're offering has a value, and if they value uh, the policy work we're doing with government, then it's everybody gains uh, because we'll get a better environment and framework for the industry to grow. Uh, consumers will be better protected. Marketers will be more skilled um, and so on. They will, absolutely. And uh, hopefully, of course, the next major development will be that the government sees the value of people learning and increasing their skill set within industry. And obviously, there's a change to sort of the way that training is funded, because the way that it's going, the system's just not working. So that's something as well that hopefully we see some real positive traction over in the uh, the coming months and years. And um, just before we, uh, we wrap things up, Chris, actually, um, over this sort of next 12 months, if we just look at the next year, um, what ideally would you like to see achieved by the DMA in terms of your sort of government lobbying at the moment? What changes do you want to see made? Uh, I think the, there's uh, two key things. Obviously, we're hoping that the consultation response and the proposed legislation on data reform takes into account the feedback that industry has given. Mm. Um, I think that's number one. There is a second area uh, which uh, GDPR actually specifies the role of codes of conduct by industry sector developed by industry associations. Um, in Article 40, and in Article 41, it specifies the role of an industry monitoring body. Uh, and the, those structures has to be approved by the ICO. We're working with them on a direct marketing code of conduct and our data and marketing commission being approved as an industry monitoring body. And under that kind of system, what happens is companies would go through a verification process to ensure they were compliant and adhering to the legislation. Uh, 
if they were, they would get a, a seal of approval or a kite mark, if you will, that they could use publicly to signpost that they were GDPR compliant. But more importantly, the legislation as it stands today um, enables co-regulation where the ICO could delegate investigations about companies who, who have that kite mark, that, that GDPR verified seal of approval to be investigated by the industry monitoring body. And that's really valuable because it, it frees up ICO resources to go after the rogue traders and the issues in the economy that are likely to cause the greatest harms. That has a value for business because those businesses that are fully compliant and treating their customers in the absolute best way can be certain that they, if any small thing happens to go wrong, that they can address it within an industry monitoring body without having a full-blown ICO investigation mm. that consumes large amounts of resources and, and legal fees and so on. So it's a great system. It's envisaged by GDPR. There's a number of industry uh, associations across the economy going through that process, and, and we'd like to see that whole system in place so that I guess you would call it the good players, the blue chip players, the compliant players in every industry sector can get about their business uh, with confidence and the ICO can spend their resources going after the, the, the companies and individuals that are creating the problem uh, in the economy. And, and I think that'll work well. So those would be the two things. Mm. And hopefully there's some real positive traction with regards to those two aims over the uh, the coming months. And I do, Chris, wish you all the luck in the world um, at the DMA in sort of lobbying for those um, sort of real changes to take place. And um, I think given that it's still very much in a constant state of flux, this entire situation, I think what would be really productive actually would be to catch up at some point in the future and have uh, yourself or one of your colleagues back on the program just to see sort of how the situation has changed in the time between our discussions. Yeah. Fantastic. It would be really, really good to have you back on the uh, the program again in future, Chris, um, if uh, possible. I mean, it's been fantastic having you join us um, on the uh, the show today, and I'm sure the listeners uh, share that sentiment. And uh, by all means as well, do take care and stay safe with all that's still uh, going on in the world too, and uh, good to uh, speak again soon. Great. Thank you very much, Scott. It's been a pleasure to be here, and I'd be delighted to come back uh, any time. That would be fantastic. And uh, to everybody tuning in today, I do hope that everyone did thoroughly enjoy the interview with Chris Commamal from the Data and Marketing Association. And uh, to all of those tuning into the program as well, if you are a business owner or the head of an organization of your own, which you feel has its own story to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then we do also want to hear from you. So by all means, why not apply to be on the program yourself via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, you have been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner. Take care and goodbye.